you know, you're going to have to shut off the news and the pundits telling you uh, when the next crash is coming and how you should uh, move here and there and everywhere. I mean, all of the media and all of Wall Street is really geared to make you trade. So you have to kind of find a way to immunize yourself against those influences. There are companies that have lower margins, but still do it like grocery stores or like a Walmart. It's been a great business and a lot of growth. You know, we see that because we talked about we need 20, 20 percent a year for 20, 25 years to get there. So if you see sustained growth, that's, that's these are the kind of things that would really get my attention and make me take another look. I just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. Uh, I used to think of Vodafone Business as only a reliable provider of mobile and broadband needs, but they're really stepping up to help Irish businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world. So they now offer a whole array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. More recently, Vodafone have launched their VHub digital advisory service. With its new service, Irish businesses of all sizes can get free one-to-one digital support and advice tailored to their business by simply booking a call with one of the VHub digital experts on the Vodafone business website. Search Vodafone VHub for more information. Today's chat with Chris Mayer, the author of 100 Baggers and Where to Find Them, is a timely one as it coincides with the launch of my Wall Street's new service, Nexus. Imagine having had the foresight to invest in industry giants like Amazon, NVIDIA, or Tesla before they skyrocketed in value, forever transforming your financial future. Traditional stock ranking generally overlooks hidden gems, meaning you don't find out about great investing opportunities until after they've made major gains. That's why we've created Nexus, our groundbreaking AI-powered stock picking service so that you can find those hidden gems before they become, as Chris Mayer said, 100 baggers. It harnesses state-of-the-art AI, advanced segmentation, and the expertise of seasoned investors to identify game-changing investment opportunities worldwide. Nexus is not for everyone. It's designed for dedicated investors with a long-term horizon and comes with a premium price point. But the chance to invest in these stocks is intended to be life-changing. Get your exclusive launch discount offer in the show notes today. Hello, everyone, and welcome. As some of you may recall, I interviewed Chris Mayer on Stock Club almost a year and a half ago. And to this day, it's our most listened to episode. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Chris for another round of questions and conversation. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you, Emmett. Good to see you again. You too. So before we dive in, I'd like to remind our listeners of your bio. Chris Mayer is the co-founder and portfolio manager of Woodlock House Family Capital Fund. He has written several books on the subject of stock investing, most recently 100 Baggers and Where to Find Them, which was the focus of our last conversation and will be the focus of this episode too. Chris, I'm sure of all your incredible professional achievements, your appearance on Stock Club in March 2022 was a pivotal moment. Right up there. Top of the list, Emmett, really is. (laughs) Okay, look, as a recap, and for those unfamiliar, can you explain what is a 100 bagger and what is its significance for investors? Well, I mean, what it is, it's very simple. It's a, a stock that returns at least $100, $100 for every dollar invested. Um, and its significance, uh, I guess you would say that, uh, you know, m- many of the best stocks 
over the long term have been at least hundred baggers. And and uh, you, you know you, the other interesting thing about it is you had years and years to buy them and still make hundred times your money. So um, we're talking yeah. about the very best performing long term equities in the market. To save me the math, approximately what percentage of companies achieve one hundred x potential on the public market? Um. You know, I don't know the percentage because uh, the universe, you know, the book I looked at, I had, I, the book I wrote, I had a study that uh, came up with 365 names. And mm. um, it was an update from a study that Thomas Phelps did in 1971. And he also had 365 names, ironically, with a different different time set uh, and different data set. So um, I don't know percentage because there's, you know, tens of thousands. If you include little penny stocks and things like that on the pink sheets, I, I don't know what the population is. So. And yours were your study was exclusively focused on the United States, or did it include Canada or other countries? No, mine was only in the United States, um, and you know, it went from the data was started in nineteen, I think sixty two was the mm. earliest data that we could get at the time, and uh, ran through twenty fourteen. And Phelps' study went from thirty two to seventy one. And of course, I mean, one of the things about my book is I hope that it would in, inspire people to, in other markets, to do similar studies. And, and I've actually seen uh, things like that come up. People have done studies of you know, markets in the UK, Sweden. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, and it's actually very coincidental that you both had a list of 365 businesses. Yeah. It's just, I'd say that it's was qu quite the shock when you figured it. It is, it's very weird. Different times, uh, periods when there were more companies listed, I presume, when you conducted your study than when Phelps did his. But at 365, I suppose that's way less than 1% of the listed entities. It's probably below a half a percent. Yeah, it's a very, very, very small percentage. Of all the concepts in your book, I mean, they're all very easy to understand. Um, you have to look hard to find a potential 100 bagger. A company needs to exhibit, uh, in your words, growth, growth, and then more growth and have mul lower multiples and so on. Um, and personally, I've learned more from my investing mistakes than my successes. For me, mistakes are the first cousin of selling too soon, which is right back mm -hmm. to the point about having Zen-like patience when it comes to investing. What are some of the things that investors can do to practice patience on a regular basis, given, as you wrote in your book, it takes approximately 25 years for a company to grow 100-fold? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of like a bell curve as far as the population goes. So the kind of median and average was about around 20 to 25 years. And so that implies compounding at about 20 to 25%. That's the rough math of it. But of course, there are outliers in either direction. There are companies that have done it inside 10. And then there are companies that took 35. So it really depends on the rate of compounding over what period of time. Mm. Um, mm. And then I forgot your, your question. Actually. So, the, so individuals like a 25 year wait is a very significant oh, right, right, percentage right. of your to, life. Yeah, this I mean, is a big part of it. This, this is a yeah. big part of it. As everyone asks, like, well, how can you, you know, what can you do to increase your patience over that time? Because it's, <laughs> I mean, when you look at all the stocks in the study, they've all had tremendous ups and downs. You, know, you, you have to sit through 50% drawdowns. Uh, and then there's mm. also, which I think is maybe underrated, but maybe worse, is the is the long periods where the stock goes nowhere. So yeah, yeah. I always like to point out that Berkshire Hathaway is the best 
performing stock in the study, and yet it had a seven-year stretch where it went nowhere. And that's a long time to hold stock and have it go nowhere. Meanwhile, you're being bombarded with news, and you see other people, and they're telling you about stocks that have gone doing well, and you're sitting here with your stock that hasn't gone anywhere for six or seven years. Again, that was the best performing stock. And I've done some similar analysis where I've looked at companies that I own and look back and you know, I've seen the stretches five, six years at a time where they went nowhere in the middle of a 20x or 30x run. So you got to you got to definitely practice a lot of patience. And I think the first thing to to do is to focus on the business and not worry about the stock prices. That's that's like number one. If you're one of these people who's constantly checking your stock prices every day, and it is going to drive you crazy, and it would be very hard to do. But if you focus on the business and you only check in every quarter, so when they when they report the results and see that things are still on track, and even then you're going to have to give them some leeway because businesses, uh, if you're going to own a business that long, you're going to have to own it during periods where it's going to disappoint you a little bit. Not every quarter is going to be its best. In fact, you're going to have off years. Every Not every year the business is going to be at its best. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, the book sort of frames this and, and so once you focus on the business and you learn that businesses are kind of like they're organic, they have not nothing grows 20% every year. There are some years a little more, some years less. And, and you keep your attention on that. Uh, that goes a long way uh, towards mm. increasing your patience. And then the other thing is, you know, you're going to have to shut off the news and the, and the pundits telling you uh, when the next crash is coming and how you should. Uh, moved here and there and everywhere. I mean, all of the media and all of Wall Street is really geared to make you trade, to make to create mm. transactions. Uh, and so you have to kind of find a way to immunize yourself against those influences. Those are two big things that come to mind. It's a very good point. I launched a service about three and a half years ago called Horizon, and its purpose is to find 10 to 100 baggers, as many of them yeah. as possible. I, um, I've been fortunate enough to have two 100 baggers in my portfolio. And I can tell you that what really stopped, I cannot discount luck. Any great investor who says luck had nothing to do with it, I'm sure you'll agree, uh, is has an inflated self-view. And uh, I know very much where luck played yeah. a role. And for both of my 100 baggers, the luck, if you like, was I couldn't stomach paying capital gains tax. So I was like, I would sooner <laughs> shed something else. And let your winners win is a simple age right. of investing. But, right. but what I find really interesting is the point you made is that flat is soul destroying it's like it's yes. no information every other idea it seems more appealing when you've bought a stock for 10 bucks and five years later it's still 10 bucks or nine bucks or 11 bucks it is crushing. really it's crushing it's corrosive yeah. it makes you think that nobody except me will ever see the value in this business and i think when you look right. at companies, pain, painfully it makes you feel like you've wasted time it's just painful you know because you look back over those yes. you mentioned 10 years 10 stock at 10 and five years later it's still 10 well you can't help but look back at things you yeah. could have bought five years ago you know so it's it's very very difficult i took a, a look at the greatest companies of our lives since they were ipo'd and and um like there was 16 years of nothing in microsoft I mean, that is a long window to get in, but you need like monk-like patience to stay in. 
because if you bought shares and 10 years later, you're, they're still at the same price. Really, uh, the best thing that could happen to you is you don't notice that you still own them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, there's it's a couple the of about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, coffee can, we can talk about that. But there's a couple other things about that worth pointing out. One is, you know, this is also why we don't own just one stock. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, hopefully, you've got a portfolio of whatever, 10 to 15 names is kind of like ideal for me, but some people have more. So you hopefully have something else that's kind of working and makes you feel feel good. Um, and the other thing is that even though we say it's gone nowhere, uh, we're not, we don't mean literally that every day it just traded 10 bucks, right? It went up to 13, it went back to eight, it went back oh, yeah. to 16, went to five. So, um, you know, along the way of those dips, sometimes you, you just, if you're constantly, most people, are net investors, you know, for a while. So they buy a little more during the dip. So you can uh, maybe feel like you're accomplishing something that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the best hack for an individual investor, a hack for their own psyche is to decide when I buy this, I'm never selling it. So I better make that buy decision with great caution because I know I'm going to forget why I bought it. So yeah. just, I buy it as an, and to use your parlance, put it in the coffee can, bury it at the end of the garden, forget about it and let those years pass by and work on your career and your family and your friends and your profession. Like it really is, it, from my personal experience, the only way to ultimately win at investing is to just don't sell. Yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, with real estate, if, if you, when you buy and sell real estate, it's difficult, right? There's a whole process involved. There's closings, there's costs involved. So nobody just goes off casually, buys a rental property and then, Oh, I'll just, you know, dump it two weeks later or whatever. But I think with the stock market, because it's so easy for us to buy and sell and get in and out, it really works against us. Uh, yeah. So you have to think of it. You know, I like that mentality. You go into it thinking about it, that you're never you're not going to sell it because then that forces you also to really raise the bar on what you'll buy and you'll resist the, you know, something that somebody's touting to you that's uh you know, it's not clearly not something you're going to own a long time. You're just thinking you're going to make a quick buck on it. Um, those those yeah. could be a big distraction. Actually, the other idea good. you could do, which I sometimes mention to people, is you have like a, a small account, a small amount of money where you can scratch that itch. If you really have to trade and you have a small account where you do that and you realize that that's not like your serious money. And then you have a, another account, another portfolio that you do your long term, leave it alone investment style so that yeah and i see that in a lot of uh, say grown-up investors or investors who've been around the block uh they realize they do need to scratch that itch and i think jason zweig and his book your money in your brain kind of talks about that phenomenon which he said is more prevalent in male brains the need to have a flutter and and it's and it, it, there's a dotted line between the point you made and the horse racing industry that the sport of horse racing it tickles a part of your brain that otherwise you wouldn't get stimulated. So um, when if that has transposed into your stock investing life, well, then know that this account over there is your uh, high frequency trading account. And right. I can do. But I, I like. Yeah, I mean, I had one of my investor friends who's like, you know, he's he's in his seventies, and he says, "Well, hey, I remember him telling me, he says, look, Chris, I don't smoke, don't drink, I don't gamble, I don't do that.'" This is what I do. He has a small account <laughs> where he will mess around with like penny miners and stuff. You know, it's not as serious money. It doesn't hurt him if he loses it and he understands it. And that's okay. You know, I kind of, I understand. 
Yeah, me too. I interviewed Bill Mann of The Motley Fool a couple of weeks ago, who's an absolutely wonderful investor. And he said that no market is perfectly efficient. It's just the American market. And I'd say the American markets, I include Canada, uh, North America as a whole, are just more efficient than the others, but they're not perfectly efficient. And we take that logic and put it onto the property market, just to come back to the point you made, it's highly inefficient. It's so illiquid. When you look at your home and you want to value it, really what happens is they look at the houses to your left and right that sold most recently, which could have been 18 months ago, and you've got this really inefficient, slow pricing mechanism. It feels like turning on a tap and toffee comes out instead of water. Well, the fire hose that is the stock market, as we know, shouts a price to the fraction of a penny at us uh, all day, every day. and, And but Great it's point. yeah it, it, absolutely so tell me chris walk me through your research process when you're trying to find a 100 bagger the elusive 100 bagger like what traffic lights get you most excited to find i mean you have documented very carefully in your book the actual attribute yeah. to look for and i don't right. wish you to dive into all of those sure. but which traffic lights get you most excited mm-hmm. well I, I mean i think uh, you know at first glance um High returns somehow, uh, high returns on capital. So, you know, return mm-hmm. on equity is an easy one to think about. And that me- measure has lots of flaws. You know, companies can be very leveraged and can show high returns on equity, or they can, if, it, if their company has done a lot of buybacks and so the accounting equity is small, the ROE could be inflated. But some, so that's why I say ROE or return on invested capital or return on capital employed. There are a number of these measures just go to, if I find one that's just consistently just cranking out these high, High returns, um, you know, that's something that gets me gets me excited, interested to take a deeper look. You know, higher mm-hmm. margins is kind of preferred, but not necessary. I mean, there there are companies that have lower margins, but still do it, like grocery stores or like a Walmart. It's been a great business, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of growth. You know, we see that because we talked about you need 20 percent a year for twenty twenty five years to get there. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see sustained growth, that's, that's, these are the kind of things that would really get my attention and make me take another look. So return on invested capital, this is for our listeners' purposes, because I, honestly, I forget this stuff so quick, but for our listeners' purposes, return on invested capital measures how much profit a company generates from its total capital, whereas return on equity measures how much profit a company generates from its shareholders' equity. Now, logically, it feels to me that investors should pay closer attention to return on invested capital because it takes account of all the resources the business has put into making money. But it feels to me, or it's not even feels, in, in your book and in a lot of other investors' books, um, return on equity is preferred over ROIC. Can you explain why, Chris, or, or is, it, is one just a proxy for the other? Well, I think people like to talk about ROE because it's simpler. I mean, it's mm-hmm. available on all all the financial websites that you know you can just it's just there and it's easy number. Um, and it depends. Yeah. I mean, it it can be a decent proxy for a company that's not levered. Um, you know, there's some other things where it might be close, but uh, I would I would be careful just looking at ROE. Uh, you know, yeah. with all these numbers, you, there's you know a lot of people they want something they can just kind of check off. So they want to know there are certain numbers that you hit and then you're good. But investing really doesn't work that way. I mean, there's all these companies are different and there's unique things about certain industries. 
So you really can't just punch in a number. I mean, that was another thing that definitely I learned doing the 100 bagger, bagger study myself. I kind of hoped that there might be like a little financial little template of four or five numbers that I could say, oh, well, these are the ones that are kind of good predictors, but it really didn't work out that way. I mean, there's so many ways up the mountain. I mean, you know, even if you say you want a company that has high margins, I mean, that's not necessarily true. Companies with low margins have, have become 100 baggers. Um, even the growth number, we want a lot of growth, of course, but there are also companies that achieve that 100 bagger status because they were such aggressive purchasers of their own stock and started off at such a low multiple. I mean, mm. it's just like if you think of 100 baggers, a peak of a mountain, there's a lot of paths, paths to get. Oh, there. yeah, that's a very good point. So, I'm going to play a little game with you. All you have to do is say back one word, agree or disagree. Um, and I'm going to hit you with a couple of questions or sorry, statements. And I'm, they're not coming from my own belief. I just want to ask you, do you agree or disagree? So based on the point you just made, I'm going to make a statement. Here we go. There are some 100 baggers that have almost none of the attributes you defined in your book, apart from being small to start with. Agree or disagree? Um. Well, I would say agree if you, because again, my study excluded the, uh, exclude a lot of penny stocks and things like that. So if you're going to yeah. include those, certainly those did not exhibit any of the tributes that, you know, it was just luck. Some guys went out and uh, found some huge deposit and it became a mine. You know, that that's, uh, yeah. that's something that's yeah. not going to be predictable within the framework that I put in the book. Or if you have a small biotech company that has no revenues and is really just a publicly traded science project and they hit a, hit a drug that then becomes, you know, yeah. Out oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Product. That's not going to be predicted within the framework of the book. So, um, okay. Yeah, well, I that, mean, that, I, that what gives I was me... looking for was something that could be predictable within that, but there's certain ah, baggers that. That's a very important nuance. So, let me then hit you with a related agree or disagree. Um, when screening, exclude biotech and financial companies, agree or disagree? <laughs> well, for me, I'm going to say agree because my personal preference, I don't like the, I don't like the, I don't own any financials, meaning banks. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, right. Um, and I'm, I'm not a biotech guy, but perhaps if someone has some expertise in that area, you know, I wouldn't say you don't look at biotech. Uh, mm. Banks are interesting. I mean, the problem the thing with banks is I also run a concentrated portfolio. Right now I have 11 stocks in the portfolio and I don't intend to have more than, let's say, 12 would kind of, for me, it's kind of the top number so you know the problem with a bank is banks are inherently leveraged and you could always mm. have some surprise i mean we just went through it look at you know silicon valley bank was the top performing bank for so long and then you know zero in a matter of a few weeks um signature yeah. bank you know every once in a while you have these banks that just you know come out of the blue and you get whacked so yeah. i think if you know, for somebody running a concentrated portfolio like i am i don't want to take that sort of even whiff of existential risk. Oh, I get that. I have gone through years of developing a system and, and I just, at the end of it all, uh, I avoid, I avoid fashion, pharma and finance. No, it's, I have an aversion to it. I don't, I don't say no, like I am a fan of some financial businesses like SoFi sure. or some pharma businesses, uh, right. quite interested in recursion therapeutics at the moment, but more 
to the point because Nvidia invested heavily in them and said, "Hey, here's a whole pile of chips. Go do your thing." So there's things that I can look at and assess. But yeah. I'm with you entirely. When when the raw material of a business is money, when money goes in the back door and out the front door, it's a far harder business to understand how's the value added in the middle bit. For me, it's always been a little bit like. I black agree. Market. I agree. And the other flag is if it if the business really only works with a lot of leverage, so. You know, this yeah. is a problem too. I don't own real estate in the, in the fund. I mean, because real estate businesses, I mean, real estate only works really well as an investment because you can put, you know, a big mortgage on it and then you get this yeah. huge leverage effect to your equity. And yeah. of course, lots of people have gotten wealthier with real estate. So, but again, so this is a personal preference thing. Um, it, involves, it involves a lot of leverage, but you mentioned finance companies. I mean, there's a lot of finance companies that operate the same way. You know, they're skimming and they're making a very little narrow spread or margin and it really only you know it works as a business, so they get an ROE of twenty percent because they've leveraged it, you know, so much. Have you noticed attributes common to one hundred bagger apparitions, uh, companies that on the surface look like they're going to grow, but actually turn out to be phonies? Like where you you went, oh, I'm I was always keen on Acme bricks and then Acme roads, right. and and then all of a well, sudden something just I don't know didn't if I would work. say phonies but i would say like you know some companies that show you could run you could run into a company where you have really good earnings growth for example but the company requires so much capital <laughs> to produce that produce those earnings produce that earning growth that the the actual returns on capital are very low and the market's kind of smart and eventually sees through those uh, and sometimes they can be tricky you know you can have Companies that appear to grow twenty percent, thirty percent a year, but then they're but they're spending so heavily on, on uh, say marketing expenses, and then as soon as they shut that off, you know, then the business starts to roll, mm. uh, roll over because of churn or whatever. Like you know, so so there are some traps like that. But I think you know, as long as you're not don't get overly enamored with just earnings growth, and you do a little analysis into sort of what produces those earnings and the sustainability of it, and the kind of the true underlying economics of it. You should be able to avoid those traps. Okay. So when you look at, um, again, let's go with another agree or disagree. When you look at the parameters. Yeah, I like that game. <laughs> okay, right. Here we go. I'm going to make another statement. So when you look at the parameters for finding a potential 100 bagger, the only real risk factor is its size. Apart from that, what we're looking at is quality companies with great momentum. Agree yeah. or disagree? I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the, mm. I agree in that um, you're really only looking at quality. If, if I understand it right, you're really looking at yeah. the quality companies and size is not as important. Is that what you're saying? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there is a little different. Yeah. I originally wrote the book. I said like 300 million was the target. I kind of took guard people to, to really stay small. But I think over time, what I've learned is that that kind of is too limiting. Like you could run, if you run into a business that's a billion or 8 billion or 10 billion uh, and it checks every other box, I wouldn't uh, let that go just because it's a $10 billion market cap. Now there's an extreme on the other side, obviously, you know, Apple, <laughs> you're not going to, yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't mess with. So there's, I, I think there's a more of a window there than I, than I allowed for the book. Yes. Okay. Totally agree with you there because I have spent quite a lot of time recently trying to reconfigure my thinking on 
what is a small cap? What is a mid cap? I kind of grew up thinking a small cap is like 200 million to 2 billion and mid cap is 2 billion to 10 billion and so on. Um, But your point now is so on the money because we are in the age of several multi-trillion dollar businesses. And 10 years ago, you could not have, you couldn't have convinced me that I was going to live to see one trillion dollar business and now apple looks cheap how on earth can a multi-trillion dollar business look cheap so when you look at a 10 billion dollar business you're like wow this thing is only it's only an acorn yeah exactly exactly okay yeah, that's plus, another... you know, these, these things we're, we're talking about i mean it's hard to find a really true high quality business that hits all those things so again you find one at, at 10 billion i i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't worry about that uh, yeah, and say, oh, it's too big because, like you said, we, you don't know. Uh, but if you just focus on that underlying engine, I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, even if you look in the back of that book, I have a list of all the companies that are yes. in the baggers. There are a lot of humble businesses in there that you would never have okay. guessed would be, you know, hundredfold, but yet they continue to compound 25 percent a year and uh, get there. So I'd focus on that engine, that compounding engine, and not worry too much about size. Of the, you know, yeah. Is there any, so I tell you, Chris, this is fascinating and I could talk to you all day, but rather than do that, I'll probably, you know, ask you to come back again in another year and a half. <laughs> more promising stock that you don't own, but you're looking into and you think, yeah, I think I like to look at that. I'm going to keep it on my watch list. Have you got a name for me? Well, um, you know, there's, a, there's, there's a bunch of businesses that I follow. And there's probably like 40 on there uh, right now that I follow reasonably closely. Um, so I don't know if I want to tip my hat too much about stuff that I'm, that I'm you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Might... So one, yeah, I totally, you're going to warp it. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So um, I mean, so I, I can tell you like stuff that I really, that I like that I just don't own because they're, you know, really a liquid. Um, you know, like, uh, I don't know, there's a company, for example, there's a little software company in Poland called Signity that uh, is partially owned by Topicus, which is a Constellation Group company. Very, very liquid, but it's kind of a neat little company. And, you know, I, I'd probably, I know I would never own it because it's so liquid, but, you know, those are the kinds of things I, I think of. It's an interesting little company. I, I follow it and um, just sort of watch what they're doing. Um, and then there's some companies that I like that are just, really expensive um mm-hmm. but that are interesting to follow but it's yeah. funny should uh, dignity i couldn't believe you said that because we've just built a system for identifying businesses that uh have the potential to 100x and we've already established it's a rare find and i'm looking through the the, the first cut we've kind of ranked them and there's uh, two companies from sweden one from italy one from uh, Denmark, two from UK, one from Poland, uh, one from Finland, and then Signity is on the list. And it's yeah, the, well, it, it's, it's you're so on the, the right track, Emmett. It's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I've I uh, Sweden is just like an incredible hunting ground at the moment. I just I cannot believe how disproportionate it uh, it, it has in in a disproportionate effect it has on our list of potential 100 baggers. When I remove India, which I thought was a good idea, it is number one for those businesses that have it, the attribute to you isolated in your book yeah. and in some of the other mass. I'm not surprised. Press. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I'm, mm. I've got a lot of uh, Swedish companies I look at and follow, and I agree. It's a it's a good hunting ground. I mean, the <clears throat> companies there, um, many of them, they really 
you know, care about returns on capital. A lot of them, they publish return on capital employed right there in their uh, quarterly and annual numbers, reinvest in something they talk about. And the alignment is often good. There's, uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And actually, there's a study um, done by Jenga Partners, Jenga Investment Partners, I think. And they looked at stocks that were up, I think it was a thousand percent over the last decade and did it by country. And Sweden was way overrepresented. It was in the top five. I mean, the top five were all the heavyweights you would assume it was like India, the US, you know, China, Japan, but then it was Sweden. Um, and especially interesting when you consider Sweden, you know, the percentage relative to the country size, you know, you're talking about much, much smaller country than those producing similar numbers of outperformers. It's really, really amazing. There's something just, in the water over there. <laughs> it is. Oh, definitely. Oh, I absolutely am fascinated by, by the nation. Uh, just as you touched on it, and before I say goodbye to you, Chris, you just touched on China. Um, and let's play another game, buy, sell, or hold. So uh, you see a lovely business in China. You're happy with its metrics. Great return in equity. Growing sales 25% year on year. 25% uh, insider ownership. Uh, it's a $350 million business in a future relevant industry with a passion founding CEO, et cetera. Buy, sell, or hold. It's fully in China. Well, not, it's listed in I'm China. Not, I'm not buying. Uh, You're not buying. Yeah, I'm not going to buy. Uh, for me, China is uh, off limits for me, at least right now. I, I don't mm -hmm. really, you know, I don't know the market. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know what Same. I'm doing there. And there's, there's, I think there's, you know, you got to yeah. be, uh, I don't know, a China expert necessarily, but you got to have mm. greater familiarity with that market than I do. So I, I don't. You really do. It's a different, a different world. Hi, folks. Just cutting in here to give a shout out to our friends at Babbel. Did you know that learning a la new language affects areas of the brain unrelated to language processing, such as visual spatial span? With Babbel, you're not only acquiring a new language, but you're also expanding your cognitive universe. This fall, start speaking a new language in just three weeks with Babbel. Instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or fooling yourself with language apps that are little more than games, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations, and all of its tips and tools for learning a new language are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversational-based teaching. I personally use Babbel to brush up on my French, and I can survive now in bars and restaurants, which is... All I've been doing, but not a bad problem to have. And who knows, if I keep this up, maybe in this time next month, I'll be doing this whole ad read in French. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, studies from Yale, Michigan University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hour, hours is equivalent to a full semester of college. Depends what you did in college, I think. But you know the, you know the gist. With over 10 million subscriptions sold, Babbel is real language learning for real conversation. So... With that in mind, here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. To get you started right now, you can get 55% off at babbel.com slash stockclub. So babbel is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash stockclub. Rules and restrictions may apply. Back to the show. Chris Mayer, author of 100 Baggers, Stocks That Return 100 to 1 and Where to Find Them, or rather How to Find Them. Welcome back. Um, Chris, I, uh, I have a very practical question to ask you, and it's it concerns brokerages. Every broker, of which there are thousands, has their own angle. And um, I wondered, how do you access a stock, for example, in Sweden, that you see and you identify as one you want to hold in your folio? Can you talk to me about brokerage solutions or even the solution you use for accessing businesses? 
Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, you know, what I use. I use interactive brokers. Um, I'm able to access Swedish market, no problem. Um, really, every market in Europe, I haven't, I haven't had any problem with anything that I've wanted to buy there. And also, uh, interactive brokers is, you know, very cheap and competitive on commissions and all. So that's work. That's what I use. Great. Uh, that was such a simple answer. You know, I thought you'd say, well, when I'm buying shares in, in <laughs> Australasia, I have a brokerage over here. And no. if I just have... <laughs> no, I do. I mean, I do have a Swedish broker that I uh, use, but only in like very special, special circumstances where I'm buying a block mm -hmm. from somebody. Uh, but for, you know, otherwise, um, just retail trades things on the exchange is no problem. Yeah. Well, Chris, you are uh, one of the handful of people who've dedicated a portion of their life and intellect to identifying the attributes of a stock that's going to have mega growth. And we know 100, like 100 fold growth is really just an eye catching return. But if a company grows 10 fold, 20 fold, 50 fold, look, everybody is happy. So what sure. I'd like to ask you is, can you name two businesses that you believe have the attributes you look for uh, in multifold growth that you own and that you think will be multi-baggers and hopefully someday 100 baggers? Yeah, yeah, man, and my, my holdings are fairly public on, you know, on Twitter. I think everyone's always figured out my portfolio and I write about things on blog and whatnot. So um, yeah, I wouldn't put the 100 bagger expectation on anybody. So um, certainly mm -hmm. these are not, I'm not saying these will be hundred baggers, but I think, again, based on what we talked about, the underlying compounding, uh, high rates of compounding, and the ability to do it for a long time, there's there's a couple that I like. I mean, the two most recent. There's not a lot of turnover in my portfolio, so um, two most recent. One was Luma, Lumine Group, which was a spinoff from Constellation Software this year. That's the latest addition to my portfolio, and. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Constellation. I know you are, Emmett, but maybe uh, our listeners aren't necessarily. But Constellation Software uh, has been a long-term big winner in the stock market. They've uh, it's a, what's called vertical market software, so software that's focused on some industry niche. So as as opposed to horizontal market, so horizontal market software you could think of, say like I don't know. Say like Excel spreadsheets, you know, it's just, it's can be used, but any, anybody can use it in any different industry. It's not particularly tailored for a specific task. But if you were running, say, a golf course or, you know, an auto dealership, there would be a specific software solution you would use for that business. And that's mm. vertical market software. And so that's what Lumine, and that's what Constellation does. And Lumine was spun out of Constellation. And what Lumine focuses on is a particular industry, vertical, which is anything to do with media and communication. Mm. So um, they've got some interesting businesses underneath that are really, you know, they're, they provide software to TV, radio stations and all kinds of other things. Um, and they're basically following that Constellation playbook. So there'll be acquisitions, high returns, uh, software business, high returns, a lot of reinvestment. So um, mm. I'm excited about that one. Seems like it has a very, very, very long runway and a good team. Uh, and I, I stuck it into our, our tool here that we've built Nexus to see what score it gets. And it wouldn't stand out with a simple number as elite because its return on equity 
it's just not growing gangbusters yet. And it's a perfect example of why you really have to get under the hood. And no number will tell you it's a Constellation spinoff. That's a human intellect observation. Um, are, do any of, does, does, do, does the ROE concern you? Or do you believe they're going to write that ship as the business gets more efficient? Yeah, I mean, it's part of this, the way they do the spinoff. There's uh, some complicated preferreds that are involved, and then they convert at the end of the year. So it's kind of the same thing as, as uh, if you look at Topicus, which is a Constellation spinoff before this, it's they have the same effect. So the first year is a mess as the, the accounting treatment of those con- of convertibles. But um, next year, or at least the year after that, the financials will start to be cleaner and then people will be able to see it so right now it takes a little work you have to mm. kind of mm. yeah okay that, that, the underlying that's cat, free cash flow is, is good and i think the return you know return on capital there yeah it's going to be something in the neighborhood of 25 percent. oh my goodness sure that's what we want that's the sweet spot um insider ownership is a little bit on the low side i noticed so are the managers and the owners were they formerly in constellation software and yeah, is yeah. there and constellation reward? software the mothership is uh, is own, owns a lot and when the pervert, when the convertible is preferred you know you're going to have that insider ownership um, um, and also constellation software has probably well has the best i think compensation program i've seen you know it's focused on rlic and growth and that's the way uh, Lumine Group will also be compensated. And the executives at Lumine Group, when they get their bonus uh, portion of it, they use to purchase stock in the open market, same as Constellation. So you have really good alignment that way. Um, mm-hmm. you know, these, your management team is going to be buying shares in the open market with their bonuses and invested right alongside with you. There's no gifts. No, that's great. Absolutely wonderful. And then, uh, so effectively, it's a it's a Topicus kind of twin. Yeah, Topicus is different because Topicus is a is a European constellation. It's focused; it can go anywhere, any industry. So there's a lot of different businesses there. That's really like the constellation, kind of a mini constellation in Europe. And Lumine mm-hmm. is different because it's confined to one vertical. So this media and communication sort of vertical, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed, you're not going to see them do you know something in trucking or medicine or something like that. Yeah. You mentioned in your book, Chris, that you just need good filters. And we've seen, I mean, we've the best of data now in my Wall Street has been upgraded upgraded quite a lot in recent times. But we still see discrepancies from various information sources uh, I'm sure you've seen it too. Yep. You could go sure. to Absolutely. like most people jump on Yahoo Finance and we've a fact set data feed. Um, and then we'll jump onto the other websites and we've a, we're, we've a high belief um, uh, with an incredible smaller business called stratosphere.io who seem to have everything bang up to date for every company yeah, out I there. I use that as well. Great oh, story. interesting. Oh, very interesting. Um, so which source, like when you see a discrepancy, what do you do? Do you go and figure it out yourself? And do you yeah, go I would go and figure it out myself. Yep, mm-hmm. I would go. Mm-hmm. But I will say, like with filters, uh, you know, you're going to miss a lot of things. So, like Lumine, yeah. to be honest, I would never come up on my radar if I didn't own Constellation. Yes. I, I would just never, it would just never, because of the men- things you mentioned. It's not a clear, uh, it's not something that comes up cleanly on the screen. Mm-hmm. So that's one one thing that makes it interesting too. Um, but otherwise. Uh, 
yeah, my filters would probably miss that. And that's okay. Um, I guess that's the point I wanted to make is you don't have to feel like your filter has got to capture everything. And, um, you're going to miss some things and that's okay. As long as you've got a good enough population to work with, uh, I think your filter is good and you don't want too much. I mean, that's the yeah. point of a filter. There's thousands of securities and we have to find a way to yeah, at least get down. And, yeah, exactly. I think you, you answered this already, but when you look at filters, um, you know, there's, there's almost no business that ticks all the boxes and there's absolutely no business with no risk. So when we look at businesses that are small, have a peg that's less than one, has accelerating revenue and improving return on equity and a competitive advantage in a growing industry, it's a long list of complex things for a business to go green light, green light, green light. Which of yeah. those parameters are indeed, which parameters are you most happy to relax? Is it market cap? Um, and after market cap, which one would you be happy to, um, let's say you wouldn't question. give it a, yeah. Great question, because I've thought about that a lot. Uh, mm. So one thing I'm very reluctant to relax, but number one, yeah, market cap would be one. So uh, yeah. I would, you know, let's say $20 billion or something like that. I. I would probably, that would be the one where I to check everything else. Like you say, that would yeah. be one that I, I would relax. Yeah. But otherwise Same I would here. be very reluctant to give up on, for me, it's like the, you know, I look for insider ownership and that alignment. That's, that's key. Uh, the balance sheet risk. Those are things I'd never, I would never compromise on. And some of the other stuff is a little bit of a sliding scale. So we talked about, you know, like high returns on capital, but, there are trade-offs there too. So for example, I've owned Brown and Brown since inception of my fund in January, 2019, I bought my first shares around 25 bucks and it's like $73 a share now. Um, so it's, you know, doing well. Um, but it's got the lowest returns of capital in the portfolio, but there's trade-offs there because otherwise, you know, it's also such a low risk kind of low drama as steady as she goes sort of name. And uh, so that's, I like having it in the portfolio. It's such a, and it's such a, you know, it's such a resilient sort of business. Um, so, so some of these times you're, you know, you're making a little bit of trade, or there might be qualitative trade off. So there might be to take it the other way. There might be a company that has really lights out numbers, like super high mm -hmm. returns on capital, really good growth, but I can't really get so comfortable that the, competitive advantage is real. I know, for for example, I looked at a bunch of payment companies and I could never get comfortable because there's just so many competitors. There's yeah. so many different, you know, I just felt I couldn't really get a handle on it. So I don't have any exposure to that space. So that's a very good point. Uh, there's um, over in the UK and in Ireland, there are, diff there are different regulations on startup investing um, when compared to the US where you need to have a what is it a reg d entity or something like that you need to be approved by the sec to do a raise from the public and my point is that um i keep an eye on uh, small companies that are in build and are doing crowdfunding raises and honestly last year i must have seen 12 13 14 that were in the payment tech space and you mm -hmm. just don't know it's and they they kind of say the same thing they kind of do the same thing they're differentiated right. on what i regard as small points but it is a very very crowded market and and yeah. really I mean, if you're you not already Adyen, then, so Adyen, you know, yes a yeah years ago or so was the monster everybody loved and, and now you're mm -hmm. starting to see you know competitive pressures so they're margins yeah. coming in and you know so you, you got to be careful about that
I knew advantage. I spent a lot of time on that. Uh, a lot of time. And every time I looking at a business, uh, I spent a lot of time on that competitive position and whether or not I think they can sustain the, those kind of returns. Um, you, I'm sure you saw the paper by BCG and Morgan Stanley published about a year ago. Anything in the past that isn't last month, I say about a year ago, but it was a BCG paper and Morgan Stanley where they did a 20 year study on what single factor is the greatest determinant of share price appreciation. And the net bottom line was sales growth, (laughs) revenue growth. So that's there that we put, let's put that in box A, revenue growth. And they say by association, ultimately that means it's net profit growth, but just year on year, you see sales growth. In the other corner, we also have, uh, let's say, I don't want to call it a competing number because really it's a complementary number, but let's just say it's a competitor for now, which is return on equity. If you could only look at one of those two numbers, which would you, which would you choose? In other words, which in your mind carries the greater um, importance? Right. Well... You see, uh, if I was like looking at a 10 year number or something like that, and I could see looking back, um, yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I mean, I, I guess I might see the problem with ROE is it does have some definitely, I know there's some companies that have pretty good ROEs, but they're leveraged. I wouldn't be interested in them or their financials. You know, that's the main thing. A lot of financials will show pretty good ROEs, but their businesses I'm not interested in. And then there's there's a lot of accounting things that can make ROE look good. But with revenue, it's kind of hard to fake it. I mean, you either have yeah. the sales or you don't. So I think I might lean revenue growth. I think you might might get a better list that way. And then so if I have this population of companies that have grown revenues by whatever it is, 20% a year for 10 years, I bet that's a very good better list than if I took a list of companies with 20%, 25% ROEs for, for 10 years. I, I think mm. I might, might get a better list. But... Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough call, I think. And, it is a tough call. And like you, I look in the rearview mirror and how everything is trended out. And with Stratosphere, for example, they do some lovely graphs where you can just see revenue growing year on year. And then you throw ROE on top and it's a wavy line. But you, Exactly. exactly. <laughs> ROE is, it sways a little more in the wind, but you can see quality jump off the page um like for example wise the uk um international money transfer agent now sure. within five minutes of dissing payment tech companies i'm about <laughs> to say <laughs> i'm about to say i think wise has something special it powers b2b and b2c for money transfer but it's sales growth it is just unbelievable or rather it's revenue growth and then when you look at its roe on top it's just growing and growing. But for me, I, I'm, I, I have, we have built in Nexus. We've put a slighter, higher weight on revenue growth. And I was keen to hear what you had to say about that. Yeah, so, I think that's probably right. I think that's where I would lean it. And of course, you always come up with ones. I mean, I, I think of Topar as being one of those where it's just like a super clean, you know, on ROE, it's not really so wavy. It's just, it's just, it just mm-hmm. bangs out the number every year. So you can run into those. But I think that's right. You probably slightly weight the revenue growth. Uh, last time we spoke, you you uh, mentioned a pal of yours, or uh, let's say a business associate, almost friend, uh, Chuck Acre, who who when I spoke to about ten years ago, uh, said, 
just buy American tar and don't sell it. And did I see how you feel on it? <laughs> yeah, he does actually, and I'm sure it's served him well. Um, so I know you speak to Chuck on uh, Charles on occasion, uh, regularly perhaps. What businesses do you both admire at this time, or better still, is yeah. there a business that you both I own? Tell you, I mean, I don't. Uh, well, I don't want to overstate my familiarity with Chuck Opera. I don't want people to think like I'm sitting here mm. chatting with him on the phone about ideas all the time. That's not the case. But I no, no, I, I got it. Yeah, I, well, yeah. he's a yeah. I, we have to find the right. He's a a friendly associate who'd know you in a crowd he would yes he would, he would that's <laughs> fair to say <laughs> well i mean i think i mean he owns a big position in constellation and he owns topicus he, he's a i think chakra is one of the largest shareholders in topicus yeah um, so I, I own a good slice i think of he's topicus the second well. i think he's the second yeah. biggest shareholder yeah. in topicus so that's definitely one we we both admire and we both own it um yeah, so uh, that that's definitely fair to say. Mm. So um, you mentioned to me recently a company that I was hoping you might talk to me about, and then we'll let you off the hook. And it's Technion, which was also produced on our list of ten, our first cut of ten from Nexus. Uh -huh. And I really would appreciate if are are, are you familiar? You are familiar with the business. Yeah, I mean, it's again, this is another one pretty public that I own it. I mean, they recently raised capital, and I was among the handful of investors there that participated in that. So that's, that's out there. Um, yeah, I, I own it. Um, I bought shares almost a year ago. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked about Sweden before and yeah. And I, I love this. Uh, Technion is what you would call uh, what people call a Swedish serial acquirer. So it's a, a business that's where it's built to acquire other businesses as part, as part of its plan to grow. And there are some long-standing, very successful models of this in Sweden. Um, you know, there's Liftco, there's Lagerkrans, there's Indutrade, mm -hmm. there's uh, you know Bergman and Breving sort of spun out these these companies. There's AdTech is another one. Um, so uh, I was over there in Sweden for a conference, um, and I met the Technion guys were there. So this is one where it was just random chance. I happened to see. Um, CEO Yuan present, and uh, I liked what they hit, what he had to say, and dug more into it. And I, I've spoken several times with Daniel, who is a head of acquisitions there. And I think, um, yeah, so Technion, I mean, it's um, they have I think twenty about twenty five businesses now, different businesses and small. But I love the culture there. Uh, I think both those guys have. Um, you know they're they're out there on um, they're out there publicly. If you Google them on, on or put it on YouTube, there's some good interviews and things that they've given and talks about Technion. Um, but you'll get mm. a sense for kind of their culture and how they think about think about these things. It's very in line with what we're talking about. This long-term focus, is appreciation for compounding. Um, so I, yeah, I really like that one. Uh, again, I, I own a couple of different Swedish seal cars, and it's a space that I've definitely interested in and watch uh we're just in as you and i are recording we're we and my wall street are in the final stages of tightening uh insofar as you can the the a scoring mechanism and we're tweaking it but right now it is in our top five and it has like a five-year revenue growth that's trending up it has five-year return on equity it's gone trended up four out of five years and as we said it's like a leaf in the wind um it has return on equity 
currently I think 25%, 26%. It's a wonderful business. And what I get excited about is you telling me it has a great culture because that is never going to be a number. It can be measured, I guess. And (laughs) whether it's a trust pilot or a glass door would tell you it can be. But really, there's something about culture that you need to see it and feel it. And um, that is really encouraging for me personally as an investor to hear the tech lean. So you're a long-term uh, you plan to be a long-term holder of Technion and Lumine. And here's an awkward question for you, and, uh, and then I'm going to let you go. If you could only hold one in your coffee can for the next 20 years, would you choose Lumine or Technion? <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, yeah. I, I, if I can only choose one of those, yeah, I think uh, I, I like Technion. I'd go with that one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know... Uh, Again, I'm in it for the long term. So if this, you know, the stock's up or down a year from now, it's not gonna, it's not gonna bother me. So, um, oh yeah, uh, I'm thinking of this as you know, ten years out, we'll, we'll talk about what it, what it's done. <laughs> and, oh, uh, we'll have you on stock up in ten years. Yeah, we'll look back. <laughs> we can play clips of us talking ten years before <laughs> and see how those ideas planned out. But I should own both. So with that, I don't, I don't see why I would ever sell. No, I get it. Either. I get and, it. Yeah, so yeah. I should I should definitely have both. We'll see. It's an unfair question because really, quality you just don't know which of your winners will keep winning. Um, and very often, the one that you think uh, it's ranked twenty yeah, exactly That's turns it around. Me too. That's one of me the reasons too. why nowadays I you know I, I keep a portfolio when I start when I start the portfolio to build it. I keep them kind of close in weight. I don't do this thing where people like to you know they put twenty percent in their favorite name and then three percent. You have a couple of three percent no. positions. The problem with yeah. that, and it's happened to me so many times of that I've changed, is that the three percent position winds up doubling, and the one that you really love, you know, is the one that underperforms. So, oh, it's very hard to know which one of your babies and your which one of your darlings is going to be the best. So that's why you have a portfolio and uh, set them off into the world. And entirely here, here. I mean, since I was a kid investor, uh, and I only had two hundred a month to put into stocks. That's I got used to having a fixed amount, so I didn't go kind of heavyweight on anything. Chris Mayer, it has been a pleasure. It always is, and I look forward to talking to you again. If I can ever help you, just let me know. And in the meantime, here's to twenty twenty four. Here we go. I mean, yep. Thank you very much. I just want to give a quick word from our friends and sponsors at Vodafone Business. Uh, I used to think of Vodafone Business as only a reliable provider of mobile and broadband needs, but they're really stepping up to help Irish businesses grow and flourish in an increasingly digital world. So they now offer a whole array of digital apps from productivity tools and security solutions to IT support and even website builders. More recently, Vodafone have launched their VHub digital advisory service. With its new service, Irish businesses of all sizes can get free one-to-one digital support and advice tailored to their business by simply booking a call with one of the VHub digital experts on the Vodafone business website. Search Vodafone VHub for more information.